Psycho history. Time vaults. Personal force fields. Galactic spirituality. Fake religion. Forgetting how everything works. Science magicians. Space pirates. Abandoned spaceships. Jealous, angry space barons. Not action, the opposite. In action. Lots of conversations. <laughs> All that and more on this episode <laughs> of My Arms and Lasers, covering Isaac Asimov's Foundation. Beep, boop, beep. Doo, 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 doo. Hello, everyone. Welcome to My Arms Are Lasers, the sci-fi book club podcast by fans of science fiction that haven't read much science fiction. (laughs) You're experiencing a lot. (laughs) Just as we are, we all love science fiction, but realize we are desperately ignorant of it. So come along on this sci-fi journey with us. I'm Aaron. I'm Ellen. I am Nick. This week, we're reading Isaac Asimov's Foundation, which I'm sure many of you have heard of. Uh, some of which you may have just heard of it because HBO is adapting it into a miniseries. They want it to be the I just learned this sci-fi yeah, version of Game of Thrones, which is they're going to have to up their incest. Yeah, they'll have to up the incest. But it, it's very funny for me to learn that because as I was reading it, I had the feeling of oh, this is like a Game of Thrones universe. Like so. way did too you? way too many characters, uh, so many different lot, lands. Yeah, a lot so of plots different. centered around intrigue and betrayal. And a layers. lot of slow moving plots. That then pay off after a season's worth of dialogue. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I could see that. the The grand scope of it was what really felt to me, you know, like it, like all the different lands and different characters. The main character of Game yeah. of Thrones. What's up? Oh, we need to set a timer. And we have just activated our vault. We yeah. have a time vault for this. Uh, yes, for those un- for, the, for those unfamiliar with Isaac Asimov's Foundation, uh, it's a series of of three, or actually, I guess five novellas that have been kind of smushed together. A series I read of stories. A couple. It was like five short stories or eight, depending on which source I read. Yeah, but they originally appeared in like uh, magazines, mm-hmm. sci-fi magazines between the nineteen forties and nineteen fifties, and were kind of aggregated into a, a novel series. Which and, the first part was written for. For the novel, it was written. Yeah, you can really tell <laughs> because yeah. because the, there's not really a main character throughout, save for one guy, and he doesn't even appear in all of the novels. No, he doesn't show up past no. the second. Or yeah. in the second part, but the, I was so pissed off <laughs> when you realized the format of the, the books, the scope of the pretty book. much when the first one was done, and I was like, oh, these guys don't show back up. Yeah, yeah, and then I. I Gave it a little more credit when I learned it was separate stories. I'm like, oh, that makes sense. Yeah, it's more I, of I read anthology. something that prepped me that it spanned literally hundreds of years. Yeah, so I was a little prepped for that. Yeah, so that the basic premise of the books oh, is yeah. that imagine it's twelve thousand years in the future. Uh, human so- society has spread out across the cosmos. Huge empire. It's a giant sort of uh, Rome esque uh, society that that is ruled by. You know, intergalactic uh, missionaries and and sort of a, an aristocracy and uh, everything seems to be going great, except for one guy. This this guy who calls himself a psycho historian, who is effectively cool a, title, a, yeah. sta- a statistician, <laughs> not a guy, real one. <laughs> a guy really good at sta- statistics, who's figured out that if you map 
the course of human civilization and track how everybody's feeling and doing <laughs> stuff in the, in society if you just use pure math and reason you can you realize that this great uh, intergalactic empire that's been formed is actually crumbling even though no one knows it is knows doomed it. to it's fail. like it's mapping the future of how society will be behave based on patterns and math yeah so in doing so uh this guy harry selden this psycho historian decides to take it unto himself to try to save society save civilization itself from a thirty thousand year dark age uh by essentially manipulating the course of yeah. human events through logic and reason uh and effectively predicting that if if everything goes to plan, uh, you know, 80 years, 100 years, 150 years, 300 years in the future, 1,000 years in the future, mm-hmm. uh, then right. he could effectively predict what's going to happen in the near future and, and influence it by right. these things called seldom or crises. With the purpose being of shortening the Dark Ages from 30,000 years to 1,000 years. Yes. If, if he effectively avoids all of the bad permutations or possibilities of what could happen in society by influencing... Influencing them from the distant past via the, this time vault, which which opens every so often. Yeah, he uh, made some pre-recordings of his predictions. Yeah, saying like, "Look, if you've made it this far, congratulations. Here's what you might need to do." But the, the uh, it should be obvious what's going to happen. <laughs> I think if I hadn't read the book and I just started listening listening to this podcast, I'd be like, "What is this novel? It's crazy." <laughs> <laughs> well, that's. <laughs> That's our long explanation of yeah. our, our time vault. Yeah. We also kind of described the first part of the book. Yeah. yeah. Um, so effectively, I talk about Asimov himself because there's a very interesting fact here. Okay. Um, okay. So he he was an American author. He just um, was born in Russia, moved to the U.S. at age three. Very smart guy. Yeah. Very smart. Hundreds of books and then thousands of stories. Um, most popular is the Foundation series, Galactic Empire, and his Robot series, which yeah, I haven't I read. Robot. I Robot. There's a crater on Mars named after him, which was cool. And then, and doing some research, I saw that there's a an elementary school in Brooklyn named after him. <laughs> That's cool. Unfortunately, I discovered this late at night, and I, I was like, elementary school, I wonder what their mascot is. Oh, God. Is it, a, is it an android? I never found out. Cause I called the school today, and I called the school last night. Oh, no. No one picked up. Are they like, stop calling here? <laughs> no one picked up. I, I wish I would have harassed, had the chance to harass them, but no. I, but, I, I would also, be disappointed if it's not just like uh, what, logical yeah. equations. <laughs> go, go Asimov equations! Or, uh, I was like, maybe the robots? Yeah. I guess. Yeah. I believe Asimov himself was a mathematician before he became a novelist. Oh yeah, no. Yeah. He was. He's an engineer, right? He's an engineer. I think. Yeah, you do need math for engineer. Yeah, but he was. <laughs> all of his books. I've read. I've read yeah. iRobot as well, and all of his books are, are. Are. I mean, he tends to flourish in the short story format, but they all center around logic problems. Yeah, like the characters are always are are often fun, but usually it he he will create a central problem by sort of thinking through like. Okay, here are the the problem. Here are some, a set number of values. Like, for instance, the three laws of robotics: you can't ever he- harm a human. Uh, you always have to try to act in the best interests of a human. Always and- give human sex. Yes. <laughs> and those laws he created, right? Didn't he write yes, those? Yes, he invented the three yeah, laws of robotics those are his. and then wrote an entire book series exploring 
how that would really play out. Like, what happens if a robot is caught in between two of the laws? And uh, there's a, there's a short story in iRobot that does just that. Like, there's a robot that uh, like springs a radioactive leak or something, uh, and there's a a guy in trouble on a planet. So uh, he, in order to fulfill the first law of robotics, he tries to go towards to help the robot, but then he realizes if he gets too close, uh, the radioactivity will hurt the human. So the robot just starts walking in a big circle around the human, <laughs> not sure what to do, and they're try- and that's the whole story. That's tainting all the all the land all around the, the human, yeah. so he can't even move. So basically, the, if the whole story is like, why is this robot walking in a circle? And then they realize that it's because it's stuck in between those two laws of robotics. And that's the whole story. And what a sad like, story. Okay. Well, I read for this story, there was an interesting quote by Asimov. Um, if this has ever turned into a movie, have Will Smith play him. <laughs> um, that's exactly what it was. <laughs> also, though, he talks about how... He, at the time when he started writing these stories he was studying how um, he was studying physical chemistry and how individual molecules work and how you cannot you can't predict them when they're by themselves but if you study a group of them you can overall just the laws of averages right and and in Mm. studying that that was how he came up with the idea of psychohistory what if you could make those take those principles and apply them to social situations yeah and be able to predict human behavior in the long run in broad strokes based on data from the yeah, past based yeah based on scientific data Th- that fits and that data he bases it off they said it in the book um it's over large groups the bigger the sample the more accurate the prediction will be yeah it can't be like a study of like people in this room you can't or, predict a single human's uh, yeah. behavior w- within a uh within a large margin of accuracy. You you hope that they'll go a certain way, right? But like, the, but person by person, the science is useless. It, it has to apply to large groups. Yeah. So the first book effectively takes place in this twelve thousand year old, or not twelve thousand year old, but like this this uh, galactic empire that's reigned for twelve thousand years and mm-hmm. spread across the universe. It's basically Rome. It's extremely it's, successful. Yeah. And this this mathematician, Harry Selden, comes in and says, look, guys, you are on the verge of collapse. And no one believes them, especially the aristocracy, who are, who thinks that he's a revolutionary trying to incite a rebellion yeah, against them. Yeah, it's heresy. Yes, it's heresy. It's like, what? We're not falling. What? Shut up. And, and to suggest as much, uh, you know, th- they take that as a threat. So he's put on trial, and then he effectively shows, if I recall correctly, demo- demonstrates mathematically that he is correct, uh, but they still In like have 300 a years, yeah. it's going to start right. to collapse. He scares them enough that they agree to banish him and give him his own little <laughs> island <laughs> planet. So yeah, on the fringe of the cosmos, which you find <laughs> out was also part of his plan. He was expecting them. Uh, he said there was like three planets they would probably banish him to if if they took the bait, mm. and and he wound up getting one of the best ones because it was resource. Uh, it was not resourcefully significant enough for them to want to bother him mm-hmm. on that tiny planet, so they he could no go there and, and sort of do right. his business. But, no we ha- but we have to explain what his purpose. Is being sent there. Well, yeah. on this first part, why I was really disappointed because it followed this uh, this guy Gal um, Dornick, yeah, who was like the recruited for uh, Harry Selden. 
he was he was so super excited to work yeah. for you know the Einstein of his times, and so he travels to uh, Trantor, the the main planet the of this empire, and he's like, okay, finally I've got a job with him, and then gets arrested along with him and then banished with him yep <laughs> yeah kind of sucks for him and all the scientists or encyclopedists. encyclopedist yeah so yeah. that so that's the thing is like in in the trial it comes out that he's not inciting a revolution and in fact he's gathering these scientists to make or what he tells them is to make a galactic encyclopedia which is just uh, that will save us from right. the dark ages because no one else in this empire has thought of a book. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, they'll build this book, you know, off on this planet, super far away, and then when everything goes, goes to, to shit, they'll have this book, and it will help them rebuild. Yeah, because he he predicted that all knowledge that had been accumulated over the twelve thousand years, once they go into the dark ages, will be lost. Uh, and then that will extend human misery for 30,000 years. But if he can build this galactic encyclopedia, uh, that will be shortened to a mere 1,000 years of questionable human society, and then and then they'll be able to rebuild into a new empire. It's an awesome premise. It's interesting. But it's it's basically saying, like, are we in a dark age right now? <laughs> Just because we're not part of a galactic empire? I mean, we have nuclear power, so maybe not. Yeah, that seemed to be a distinction that was coveted in over the span of time in the books nuclear power <laughs> it's just like even though a planet's like isolated i guess if it's one without resources that relies on other planets for support like i said i i think the the main planet does yeah because it's all one city like corsica yeah that was that was the uh the argument was that the the capital planet had no natural resources of its own are and- you talking about terminus is that how you no, say Terminus it? is the foundation. Trantor, Trantor, Trantor the capital Trantor. planet itself, got all of its resources shipped to it from the outer yeah. colonies. And once those colonies realized they didn't have to do that anymore, <laughs> if one of them rose up and, and attacked them, then they would be screwed, yeah. and everything would fall apart. So that, that you find out that it was all part of Harry Seldon's plan, and he's like, "Now the real work begins." Yeah. End of book one. <laughs> well, that's no. The, the well, book you don't two, find they, out yeah. till book two. What his real plan is, right? Yeah. So book two, the encyclopedist. <laughs> so now everyone, they're on Terminus. 50 years later. There is, what's his name, Perrine? Perrine? Oh, the I, yes, board sure. of trustees. How do you say it? I don't even remember. <laughs> okay, we'll call him Perrine. I don't yes. know. Yeah. Uh, he is like, he's the head uh, council member in charge of building the book, the encyclopedia. And he's being challenged by the mayor? Yeah. Terminus. Yeah. There's the foundation, which is task is building the encyclopedia. And that's headed by the board of trustees, which is this Perrin guy. Basically a bunch of nerds. A bunch, a of, bunch nerds. of sciencey nerds get together and they have this sort of like little council of nerds. And they're like, we have to make this encyclopedia. That is our purpose. Scientific inquiry. But because this community has so many people that... It, it, basically is a city yeah it has like a million there's people. a mayor that runs the city affairs, yeah the and that affairs. was uh uh shit, what's his name harden yeah salver harden and he's he's annoyed because he thinks that the scientists are not doing a good job protecting their home and that they're yeah. just worried about this book and it's not practical yeah they're neither protecting nor are they really innovating they're just kind of concentrating on cataloging existing <laughs> stuff 
and he's like that's not how a society thrives and you find out that this mayor meanwhile <laughs> there are like four kingdom planets yeah nearby nearby and the i guess the biggest one anacreon yeah is like endangering them they they think they want to put a military base on terminus the scientific yeah. planet because it has um nuclear power yeah which and they space. don't have yeah and they want to build a bunch of little track homes yeah, you oh, find yeah. <laughs> you you basically find out that Harry Seldon was right, and the G- Galactic Empire has started to crumble at its edges. And unfortunately, right on the edge of the the Empire is both Terminus and also these little kingdom planets that have just sort of declared independence. Kind of a cool name, the Periphery. Yeah, is all yeah. the planets and the outring of the uh, and and they all, of course all want to scramble for land and <laughs> a prime resource, a place where they could sort of uh, gain power and land is terminus so they want to and they initially want to start by saying oh we just want to put a little military base on terminus but they they know that uh both the people on terminus at the foundation uh and the people in the kingdoms know that if they allow (laughs) they give an inch they'll take a mile and within 50 years uh the foundation will just be like a a little fiefdom for this empire and i have to say the the storyline in this section and how Harden handles, which I'm sure we'll get into, handles things is my favorite twist in the book. I really, I, I enjoyed Harden's uh, little mental power plays and how he kept power at Terminus. Yeah. So the the problem that that Harden faces is that he's viewed as largely a figurehead on the planet, and mm-hmm. that and that the, the ruling body is this Council of Nerds. Who say that our true purpose is to make this encyclopedia? But and Mayor, nothing else matters. And yeah. Mayor Hardin doesn't believe that, and it, it, you find out that he <laughs> himself studied a little bit of psychohistory as a uh, as a young man. He's which, dabbled. Yeah, He's dabbled. You find out that psychohistory has actually been forbidden on Terminus, on this sort of learning planet. And, no one could do it. <laughs> which uh, which you many believe might be because it would interfere with Harden's plans if someone else... Not Harden's plans. It would interfere I mean, with... With Selden's plans. Selden's plans. Uh, because the, the psychohistory only works if the people don't know what the plan is. Because yeah. once you become aware of your future, then it, yeah, anything can happen. Yeah. yeah, You can't know what your future is. Yeah. So Harden has dabbled a little bit, so he has suspicions... Uh, of that Harry Selden had greater plans than just making an encyclopedia. So he starts, he creates this kind of, uh, I don't, this system, I guess, by which he's going to defend Terminus and oust the board. Do you well, want to talk well about so that? first, well, I think that's sort of a quick thing. He does, well, that's, that's to me, that was sort of secondary to the, the threat coming on to Terminus. So we yeah. can talk about that guy, too. So... Well, Anacreon, Anacreon is the, is one of these four kingdoms that's become essentially like a. I'm a space baron. I don't need technology. <laughs> I will just wage my own independent war. I'm can, by the way, can I have some of your nuclear power? Because yeah. nuclear, the word nuclear in this book is very loose definition. Like, yeah, it's basically magic. And yeah, anything magical and future and weird and force fieldy. Yes, it felt like a real. Is clearly written in the 1940s. In the future, all things will be nuclear. A nuclear reactor will fit in your pocket. Yeah. Yeah. 
the planet is is uh, there's a problem of these planets, and Mayor Harden is worried that he's going to lose the election and lose power and not be able to protect the, this encyclopedia planet effectively. And so, in order to sort of circumnavigate that, he he essentially bets the entire election that that this time vault that nobody knows what it does is going to open up. It's going to open up soon. Yeah, and effect and sort of confirm his uh, confirm that that th- their mission is not just to sit around and, and, and make the book make the book <laughs> that there's something more going on and everyone needs to wise up to it now so well, they, i love when it opens up yeah so they they go to the vault it opens and sure enough <laughs> there's, there's, a magical <gasps> oh and the time vault opens good, yeah uh nice wow, timing our first our, time vault <laughs> in case you are wondering what the hell we're talking about uh, at the beginning of this podcast, before we started recording, all of us wrote down predictions for where we would be in this podcast at increments of time throughout. I studied um, psychohistory at, at University podcast of Indiana. University. Indiana University. <laughs> uh, I believe I just said a University of Indiana because that doesn't exist. So that's, that's perfect timing because that's exactly what happens in the book right now. But before we get into what Harry Seldon uh, reveals... After his death in his holographic state, let's see what our past selves predicted about this podcast. Yes, save us, almighty envelope. Yes, so now we're going to open up the envelope and see what we predicted would happen at increment at 20 minutes into this particular podcast. Can I do the first one? Yes. Open the time vault. (laughs) Time vault open. (laughs) Prediction one. You've just completed talking about your overall thoughts on the book. True, and, kind of. Yes, well, and if you liked it or not. I guess we went a little further, so... Actually, we, you know what? We actually haven't given our overall thoughts, though, yet. So that was, like, half true. All right, I was wrong. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Out of the box. That's more like half psycho history. <laughs> half psycho history. 20 minutes by now. After an elaborate explanation of what the point of a galactic encyclopedia is in the future, we admit that it is just Wikipedia and the book is hopelessly behind the times. (laughs) The Wikipedia Society on Terminus. Yes. And lastly... We just tried to explain how, in a world of billions, in the distant future, there are only two females. We failed to explain this satisfactorily. (laughs) (laughs) We haven't gotten to that yet. No, this book definitely is male-heavy. It's very, like old school science fiction where it's just like the logical men going out and, and solving problems in the space i i have <laughs> read that in the future books he does a better job with strong female characters and that overall for his time he was a feminist however this book which is the only one i've read so far i did have a feeling halfway through where i realized oh my god there hasn't been one woman in this entire book. <laughs> it's not so much like putting women down. They're it's just not there. That yeah, they I think exist. it's just Asimov's yeah, yeah. like, right, what you know? And I know They're just teens. not there. But the funny thing is that he does or you know purport to be a feminist that in the future he has female characters but in this book it just it just is not even there <laughs> and it did strike me later on that how interesting it was that he did predict that our technology would get smaller and smaller and smaller which this is sort of an aside another yes 
another favorite book of mine from the same time period is Player P- Piano by Kurt Vonnegut. And the only thing he got wrong in that book is that he pictured machines getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Mm. So since Isaac Asimov was able to predict miniaturization, he could have also predicted that women would be more involved in politics, and he did not. So, fail on that part. Yeah. Uh, Player Piano, one of the books that uh, Explozo Magico member Phil McLaughlin might be on the show, our show for. Yeah, oh, great. I would love to do that, that one. Book. I love that book, too. But overall, I mean, I just thought it was funny. There's yeah. No women. <laughs> so maybe we should get into what the real Harry Selden said when the time vault opens. Harry Selden himself died shortly after the events of the first book, uh, but apparently his holographic recorded image lives on and 80s uh, opens 80 years after his his death. Which can we say is he the first is he the person who first did that? Is that where like all the future when like the video comes on after someone died and then they're sort like of a give, video diary yes, time capsule. Yes. Was thing. he the one that was the first I bet he was. You know, Asimov, I I would yeah, it would not it surprise me if this this, the, this tr- is this the idea. one that because this is a very influential series so that's yeah. probably the idea of that trip for yeah. sure. So he uh, shows up in a wheelchair, holographic. Yeah, Hello, yeah. Harry Selden here. That's how I imagine his voice. Of course, why wouldn't you? Harry Selden here. Uh, by now, you've probably had your first Selden crisis uh, of uh, a question of leadership on the planet Terminus. I love that he named it after himself. Did yeah. he do that? Uh, maybe they just started calling. No, I think there's other people. Okay, well, in Aaron's interpretation, he, was, yeah. he <laughs> named it after himself. I, I read this book six months ago, so no, it's just funny. Uh, and then, he's, and then he says, uh, um, uh, by now, the answer of where the, this crux in history should be obvious. You'll figure it out. Well, see ya. Oh, by the way, uh, the encyclopedia that you guys are working on is completely a farce and has nothing to do with what my real intentions are here on, the, <laughs> yeah. on Terminus. In fact, this is going to be the, the seat of a new empire that will, that's based on science uh, and logic that will take over the universe after the crumbling of the uh, the real empire. So, There's still going to be a dark age, but we're going to be the next next empire up. So yes. basically, it's he didn't lie about the fact that what he was doing was going to shorten the dark age from thirty thousand years to one thousand. But what he <laughs> lied about was that it hinged on creating this book. And in saying that, he convinced thousands of scientists to move <laughs> to the far reaches of. The galaxy and control and create new technologies so that they could thrive there, yeah. and that was the real point. So basically, this comes out, and the mayor There's Harry Selden like, said, "Yeah, booyah, yeah." He's like, "I'm you. right." I no, wish no, holographic. Harden. What did I say? He said it's Harry Selden. Okay, Harden. Mayor, the mayor. Yeah, Harden. Um, I wish that uh, Harry Selden. Harry Selden. I wish the holograph would have been like. I mean, come on. It's a book. How was that supposed to reunite humanity? <laughs> yeah, a book that's so, like, you 30 idiots. million years ago. By now, you've clearly realized that this is a pointless activity, and it's pretty dumb. <laughs> you guys have figured it out, You right? all are stupid. <laughs> so, of course... There's, there's a point in this book during the speech where uh, Hardin looks over and sees, like, his uh, rival the uh, on the board of trustees. Per- Preen. Uh, Preen. And he's just sad. Yeah. Just looking off in space. Oh, darn it. He, like, you know, his whole life was making, <laughs> making this... this dumb encyclopedia. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. Which seemed like a good idea. I mean, I, I understood it. Yeah. But so, I, I like how he ended the message with, but now the solution to your, your crisis, though, is clearly obvious. There's only one path. One path. And then he's like, 
well, see ya. Yeah. <laughs> Goodbye. And, and Mayor Harden's like, what? <laughs> well, but but the one thing that he does say that sticks with Harden is that there would only be one choice. So the way that Harden acts moving forward is that he doesn't just jump into wars or jump into fights. He waits until tensions rise and rise and rise, and then there's only one, one course, of action. course of action. And that's Which, his way of following Yeah, but him. in doing so, he pisses off a lot Everyone. of, a lot of uh, civilians who are like, you need to do something about right, we're gonna this be attacked. Well, they, problem. Yeah. They ba- the board backs down and gives him control. Yes. After this. <laughs> yeah, after but the then, public shaming. <laughs> but the, the board gives him complete control, but then the, the populace of Terminus like, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. We want you to want you to rise up and attack this Anacreon, this this uh, kingdom planet that wants to take over Terminus, but he refuses to do anything and in fact just keeps giving them technology. Yeah, the the spaceship lands and this brings us to book two, book oh, three. three, book, book three, three, the, the mayors. mayors. But first, we should we should say Harden's quote that is important. I'm right and you are wrong. Nana nana boo boo. Mm-hmm. <laughs> did you reset the timer? I did. This, uh, yeah, the middle part of these books um, kind of mished, mashed t- together. Yeah, I, and that was actually my favorite sequence because it did, it, like, they were two, it was a two parter that, that gave, even though it jumped forward to, like, the end of Mayor Hardin's life, mm-hmm. of when, like, when he finally has to face the threat of Anacreon. I, I liked it because it was like it felt like there was a natural progress of, of the character. Yeah, for once we got a continuity. Yeah. So the concept of this uh, uh, of this book, The Mayors, was that Hardin has allowed things to to get crazier and crazier, and he's effectively created a whole means of controlling the empires, which it, which you find out later how exactly he plans to do that. But he's created a a false religion called scientism that uh, that has <laughs> all great. these priests that are really just like sort of Techs. trainees tech guys who learn how to use uh the science and technology that all the scientists use meanwhile these kingdoms have grown so backward they're basically like medieval people that don't understand how science works and they worship them worship them as holy artifacts mm-hmm. uh and the priests who control the the scientism temples and give them a, you know magic electricity and floating chairs well, actually the, like the priests come from like the kingdoms they recruit from there also yes. terminus but Terminus But they're itself, trained on Terminus. It's Termi- like a college. Yeah, and Terminus itself knows that it, the scientific principles behind it, but the priests don't. They just sit, they're trained to, you know, sort of worship Terminus, but they don't know the, the how the technology works, but they know it's sort of like a holy uh, calling for them to do it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> this book has, like, um, I love it. It, it pops up in South Park and a lot of sci-fi books mm-hmm. where exclamations are, instead of, like, Oh my God! It's like oh my science. Yeah, oh, science yeah. be damned. <laughs> I highlighted a lot of phrases. They they use by space. Yeah, by space or yeah. by Harden or you yeah. know. Yeah, it's um it, so, it comes up on that South Park episode. It also pops up in the Warhammer Future Forty K oh, books for the for the light of science. It's like Empire or yeah. Emperor. Oh, I I found it. Okay. Let's hear this quote. Okay, so this is something that Hardin said a couple times in the book. Um, Vi- violence, came the retort, is the last refuge of the incompetent. That's was Oh, his, I did highlight that one. Yeah, that was his <laughs> yeah. view on war. Like, people who jump to war, it's... It, 
Yeah. They're incompetent. So you find out over the course of his reign on Terminus as the mayor of Terminus, his way of of dealing with these four kingdoms that have become sort of like medieval warlord planets uh, is to just not be violent with them at all and instead just give them freely technology and and you know recruit these priests that will mm-hmm. that will use the technology for them like you know uh, electricity and and you know uh, medicine and things like that and food uh, so he's sort of controlling them through resources and but kind of appeasing them the counterpoint to that that makes the people angry is you have allowed these neighboring kingdoms that don't like us very much to grow strong yes so that's yeah, the counterpoint did a um a party that wanted to boot uh, Salvor out. Um, the actionist party led by Seth Cermak. Cermak. Yeah. Hardin's uh, opponents, political opponents, worst fears come true when Anacreon uh, uh, kind of grows jealous and, and grows tired of depending on, on Terminus to give them all of their resources. And they find a floating... Uh, Abandoned Imperial, Imperial Space Cruiser. Yeah, yeah. which they, which they at, demand the Terminus repair for them so they can have this floating Royal Navy. Yeah, balls, and, ballsy move, guys. Yeah, and then, <laughs> yeah. and then to everyone's surprise, Harden's like, okay, sure. And he builds, and he, he, and he gives it back. He yeah. gives it back. Here, here's your space cruiser, and of course, they immediately take it and uh, send it to attack Terminus with. As soon as it's ready. As soon as it's ready. And but so in that moment, so Hardin decides to visit Anacreon before the ship's been sent off. Oh yeah, it's the crowning because there's a a king, but he's too young, but he's going to be yeah, so, coronated. So there is a young king. He is going to be of age in a month, and the backstory... King Leopold I. Yeah, there's a bit of like a Hamlet thing happening. The backstory <laughs> is that the uncle is in charge, and Who his has brother, the greatest villain name? Yeah. Prince uh, Regent Weenus. Weenus. Yep. <laughs> what a Weenus. Yeah. So Weenus... Uh, his brother died under mysterious circumstances, so we don't know if he killed his brother. We yeah. don't know. But he's he clearly, clearly like pulled a, manipula- a scar from. Yeah, yeah he's basically <laughs> scar from Lion King. Save me, brother! <laughs> and yeah. so, so this guy's a manipulator, and he wants desperately just to become this imperial despot. Little does he know that he's falling right into Hardin's trap. So he tries to man- manipulate his nephew into doing what he wants, which is to attack Terminus. And conquer it. And the nephew's just kind of like, oh, yeah, yeah, all right. Like, yeah. he's kind of like, I don't really know, but you sound smart, and you're my and, uncle, so. And he's, uncle and, knows best. And he, he is smart, the uncle is smart enough to realize that this re- religion of scientism is like a means of control. Well, I, I, I took it more like it, it was a byproduct of the technology because people stopped learning how it worked. They started to interpret it as magic and as spiritual. Oh, I thought there was a line in there where they said they did that intentionally so that it was just a means of, of being able to uh, spread spread the technology. Well, it definitely uh, was a means of power. I just, I'm not sure how it was generated. I think the, the plebes... You know, took it as, as the word, and only the higher ups in the foundation. But even the priest, like they treated it as holy. They knew it wasn't magic, but it, but the the genius of this plan is that the people at the switches, the people in the key positions of with technology, were in the know. Yeah, were fans of the foundation. Like whether they're from the kingdoms or terminus, they were raised 
or not raised. I guess raised to, to worship to worship Terminus. Mm-hmm. Terminus is life. Terminus is everything. So effectively, when when the the uh, uncle, the, oh. well, the uncle and the people of Anacreon decide to go to war with their holy city of Terminus, it's sacrilege. Yeah, like um, yeah, Harden gets uh, Harden um gets arrested and basically. All the people like revolt and surround the castle. So, well, just to make I it guess. clear, so he secretly visits an Anacreon, mm-hmm. and while he's there, Weenus is like, "Haha, I've got you!" And you guess idiot! What? You idiot! I've got you! You're stuck here. You're under my control. And guess what? That ship that you helped me with is on its way right now to destroy your planet, and I win everything, or to control <laughs> your planet. Yeah, and Harden's like, "Yeah, I know." <laughs> and then Harden is all like, I knew you were going to do that, and I have a plan, because guess what? Faith controls everything right now, so I'm going to control your churches, and yeah, he shuts so down all power, yeah, so, right? Yeah, the so, high priest on Anacreon gets the people to revolt. Yeah, the high priest is like, uh, goes to the people and says, this is sacrilege. They're, we're, they're attacking Terminus. Our gods of scientism is going to be angry. <laughs> and at that moment... Uh, Mayor Harden just flips a switch or whatever and shuts down all technology in Except in the temples. Except for in the temples. Which and also on that cruiser that and they on had. The, on the there, no, there's a, there's a mutiny. Down. On the yeah. ship, yeah. And that and all the people in Acreon flip their shit. Yeah. Because suddenly they're like, <laughs> our gods are angry. Our gods angry. are angry. Uh, 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 kill the uncle. Yeah. And yeah. the uncle's like, oh, fiddlesticks. Yeah, and he totally, <laughs> utterly loses. Yeah. And then uh, he loses his shit. Yeah, he loses everything. And then at the he last minute, crazy. he just goes crazy and tries to kill Harden. But he learned... flips on a, a, a magical force field, and, and is even then just harmless. Uh, yeah, unharmed. so he shoots him, and it doesn't. It can't, you know, penetrate him. And then instead and then of Weenus, staying there and trying to figure it out or taking it off, Weenus goes crazy. He kills himself. Yeah, he kills off himself. his head. He just shoots himself. So really, this this whole book was just a comeuppance of all the bullies and probably a young Isaac Asimov. <laughs> Who got made fun of and beat for up being nerds. for being a nerd and, and being a pacifist. No, we're going to control the galaxy. So <laughs> you don't get it. And I'm you're just going to be dumb and shoot yourself. Yeah. <laughs> and then when and then when you're like, hey, I, I need my, my car fixed. And then, then <laughs> I, I'm just going to say no. And it's, I'm going to be a famous sci-fi author. It's true. If like we had see. to build all technology, like TVs and stuff, ground up, I'm like, I would not know how to do that. Mm-hmm. No. But there are people on this world that would. Yeah. I, I really loved using, you know, faith as a weapon because it's so applicable to yeah. modern society I, and history. And I, I kind of took this plan as like, okay, what if, like, let's say the National Guard or something suddenly turned on Bloomington, Indiana, I, mm-hmm. Indiana University, where we went and trained. I was like, well, I'd go back and defend it, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, every, what if everyone was <laughs> it's like... It's got my loyalty. Right. If everyone was like super faithful and into this you know spirituality mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden it you know it was, turns on them it was completely threatened well it's it's it really is just sort of like going through the stages of how humanity civilization has maintained control in the past too like you know for a long time the church was in charge so right. obviously uh-oh oh you know that means time vault time another time it. vault is about to open in the story and in our podcast 
Yes. So now that Mayor, just as Mayor Hardin has uh, managed to uh, save civilization just in another Selden crisis, so another Selden crisis has arisen here on the podcast at the 40-minute mark. (laughs) So I have here a sealed time vault envelope in which we shall read Harry Selden's... Time vault envelope! Saw that coming. Yeah, wouldn't it be great if it was like Aaron sneezes? Oh, God. It'd be great if it wasn't his <laughs> prediction. Uh, every So the first of Harry Selden's predictions for, for this podcast is, everyone admitted that at least once the Foundation bored them to tears. Everyone also admitted that the Foundation was really cool. Everyone, everyone is <laughs> conflicted. Of, yeah. Aaron started suggesting we turn to the galactic spirit for answers. I don't think he has yet. <laughs> I haven't, but that is... I forgot that the galactic spirit was, was sort of like an alternative for the science. Yeah. Oh, science. Oh, yeah, that pops up. That was the, the, the word for the, the faith. Yeah. The next prediction. You, you've just tried to clear up the insane middle part of the book, and the computer <laughs> has crashed two times. That's accurate. <laughs> only that's, once. That's once. The computer has crashed. It has crashed. Twice. I, once oh. Amazing. And, and finally... You've just discussed the fact that Asimov sees logic and reason as the only means for society to, to survive the space apocalypse. Then you go on to give a compelling logical argument for why future technology should address how to assign blame for farting on a cramped space station. Ooh. Oh, interesting. Hmm. That's very specific. Yes. <laughs> great. That technology should be invented. Yes. But I would. that would constantly point me out. <laughs> well, that's how future prisons work. Do you see that? He S- who smelt it, dealt it, <laughs> according a- to our research. Oh, yeah. So that was a good um, ending point. We just finished that section, right? That's pretty much... Well, there's a, uh, the time vault opening in the book in which uh, oh, right. Harden appears again, and he's like, congrats, you made it, but be careful. Don't rely on religion to save you forever. Eventually, regionalism or nationalism will take favor. Yeah, so that's, that's Selden himself doing a little bit of manipulation there, yeah. saying like, Look, by now you've probably figured out that religion is the best way to control uh, idiots. So, the people. Control idiots in the short term, but that's not going to work forever. And it, on a, a, you bring up medi- medieval uh, era that um, yeah, yeah, which is clearly. which is how in the in human society uh, definitely worked thus out. far in in an hour past uh, that you know the church uh, controlled the masses. In feudalistic times, but mm-hmm. then eventually, you know, especially during the Enlightenment and the, and the Revolution and the Reign of Terror, like uh, some people became wary of of the rich becoming richer through these sort of like uh, incestuous relationships with religion and mm-hmm. started rebelling against it. Which brings us to the next phase of civilization. I in love the ending of this book. He's like, well. I guess the next time we see him, you and I will be thoroughly dead. Yeah. And then, and then Harden, I think, says something like, well, that's somebody else's problem. Yeah. <laughs> and, then, and then, sure enough, the next book, Harden is long gone. 55 and, years later. Yeah. Yep. And it seems like we are reaching yet another Selden crisis. Selden crisis. This are we is, up to the merchant? No, this is the traitors. Yeah. The, so, yeah, the, yeah, it's, it's another kind of two-part-ish. It's not the same characters, but it's the same concept. Which is cool because in our history, the birth of a middle class was really significant, and that was merchants and traders. Yes. Oh, yeah. Good point. This is sort of like the rise of the Medicis in the yeah, Renaissance. exactly. Um, but effectively, it, we've reached a crisis. It's now 135 years after the first 
book, uh, and this crisis is that there are there are planets that, as the Foundation grows and tries to expand its influence uh, across the cosmos, mm-hmm. there are planets that are skeptical of religion, the relig- like the scientism religion that they're using to they, spread. They fear science. Well, isn't it specifically the traitors? Like the merchants are, they're not a no, no. The traders are agents people. of the foundation. They're, I guess they, they're not priests, but no, that's that's and basically with they're the, they're also they travel with missionaries. Yeah, the idea is that that there are places that that the foundation cannot spread its its influence into because they're afraid of all science. They've heard what happened to Anacreon, and as such, have just sort of uh, uh, banned all. All influence. Right, right. They they don't want their f- yeah. faith to spread. That's true. But the main traitor guy was not religious, and that's the that's the key right. to the answer is, of of this problem is that there are uh, there are there's been this rising middle class at, in uh, terminus or in its sort of surrounding planets of people that just don't they don't care about the religion or anything or spreading mm-hmm. the the good word of of. Uh, Scientism or terminus, they just want to make a quick buck, and they find the easiest way to make a quick buck is to sell technology from terminus uh, to new uh, empires or new planets that haven't that otherwise aren't uh, open to it. <laughs> so that that's where the traders come in, and they they're like, I don't care about religion, don't care about anything else. I just want to make Let's money. Let's make a deal, right? Let's make, Let's a, make deal. a deal on uh, one of these planets, though. One of the traders. Is arrested. Unmar Ponyets plays that. The yeah, one? how are we gonna? Uh, yeah, there's no Eskel Grove is arrested and sentenced to death. Yeah, so he this other trader gets a, basically a distress signal from a guy he used to do business with, and he's like, "Please get me out of this." <laughs> and you find out that he was a trader who tried to sell uh, technology on a planet that where it had been made illegal, uh, and so he was sentenced to death. And this guy comes in. Uh, Lin, Lin, Linmar Ponyets. Yes, or Ponyets. Or, Ponyets. Pony, uh, Ponyets. Ponyets. I like Ponyets, so, I like Ponyets too. I imagine he had a ponytail. So pony, pony he man. comes in with this technology that he tries to bribe to get the prisoner back. This is what I like to call the Guardians of the Galaxy plotline. Oh, it's yeah. a lot about selling items and secret items and merchants yeah. and, you know. Yeah, so yeah, initially this, this the guy... This story I was less enthused about. But. Yeah. So initially in this story, you you think that that Ponyets or Pony Man is going to be uh, arrested and sentenced <laughs> to death, just like the other guy. But then, sure enough, you find out that uh, this guy Ponyets is such a good salesman. He finds a way to convince the court <laughs> that some technology uh, is okay as long as it's in the service of their personal gods. <laughs> so he effectively says, like, well, if I if I can create Let's say I take this little meter that I have on me and I turn it into a thing that makes gold. What if the gold is only used to adorn the temples and celebrate your gods? What's wrong with that? Wouldn't they be pleased with it? And then, and of course, they like gold, and they're they just like, like gold. Yes, that's and, and sure enough, after they, that. he demonstrates that it can take just iron and turn it into gold, he can then. Uh, he then goes to another guy. He has a transmuter gun. That just yeah, he has a transmuter gun. They <laughs> eventually is like, "Hey, look, alchemy!" Blah 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 blah. Uh, and uh, he goes to one of the the barons who he just demonstrated this to and said, "Like, D- hey, do you want this thing? I I, I got. It. I can make a million of them." 
effectively gets that guy to agree, okay, but you only make it for me, right? So I can be rich. That'd be good, right? Right? So basically, he, he uses their, the, the natural urge of human greed and a desire for power against them. Uh, greed by, prevails. But the, the great thing about um, these uh, trader guys is that this little thing that turns things into gold, it only works for like a few days or like a half a year like there's always a setting to it so that they can get what they want they can impress everybody they can leave it with them they can get out and then it can malfunction and they're like whatever screw you but by then the society have been corrupted by the influence of technology and then they can go and now they've opened up a new trade route as yeah it's just just very uh, tricky it's like how another genius plan of tech could only work if a tech from the foundation uses it yeah, you know they get you hooked, and that's how they're able to spread their influence. Right, yeah. which shows and, up a lot more in the next. Book, and but. he ma- and this guy Ponyets Pony Man manages Ponyets Ponyets <laughs> say it right manages to get out of it. Like at first, you think you think, oh shit, this Baron has double crossed him, and now he's gonna have to work as like a, his personal slave to make all this gold in his dungeons or whatever. Until you realize that he had secretly recorded the conversation with the Baron. Of of this baron accepting gold, uh, and, and and accepting Black technology, mail. and blackmails him, <laughs> and says like this is this is going to be broadcast to your people or sent to your people uh, if you don't use your influence to allow technology to enter this planet. And he's like, oh shit, okay, fine. Mm-hmm. And then that, and so he's able to sort of wheel and deal and grease the wheels and get in and start selling. Uh, technology yeah. to this planet that otherwise would never have a chance to. Dirty deeds done dirt cheap. Yep. yep. So basically, mercantilism <laughs> has prevailed where religion failed. <laughs> By the way, we should say that while like we are summing it up, it may seem like there's a lot of action in this. There's not. <laughs> it's a it's, lot of discussions. It's yeah, a lot of talking. Or it's boring parts, and then like everything's laid out in one explanation. <laughs> yeah, it's it. The thing about this book that I'll just say it's funny how after I finished it and I had a moment to process mm-hmm. I decided I liked it more than I thought I was liking it while reading it similar to the book storylines that span you know it's like <laughs> it's all like big picture stuff yeah but when I was in the scenes I was like wow this is a lot of talking this is very dry and the characters are not well fleshed out this is a book more about concepts than about characters yeah the, the main character yeah, you is don't, the foundation concept yeah <laughs> so you can't really get into their lives but once i was done and i stepped back big picture i did enjoy it overall but yeah it was, was slow it feels a little think, randy yeah i was trying to think of how it could be like redone as a novel and i was like okay maybe yes we could go into these future parts but also pretty much the book would end, you know, with the third part, fifth part of the book, but also the ending of the first, where they get banned. Where, okay, we follow um, Selden and Gaul, and it's like their struggle against, you know, Entrantor. Yeah. And them trying yeah. to come up with these predictions. Like, we could check in and out of them, like, but wait, what if this happens this way? And then he points a, a flaw in that plan. And he's like, no, because this will happen. And then we cut back to, you know, the mayor's taking power. And he's like, no, they'll just solve it like this. And then we switch over. So you're That'd saying it would be like, cut back of, like dual storylines. Dual storylines, yeah. Does anyone know how, because I think they made a foundation movie. 
I wonder how that would work. Yeah. And um, I, 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 the whole time I was like, is that, what is that movie? <laughs> I kept trying to think, yeah. like, who, 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 who's going to watch a film that just, like, sort of leaps forward? It's like, it'd be like fucking Cloud Atlas. Yeah. <laughs> like, it makes, like, the audience of people who like that sort of story is pretty slight. Yeah. That's why I think as a series it could work better because you could do each season could be a section of time. Yeah. Which it might could be work better. Which and I think if you took the story and you flushed it out and you added a little more, I don't know, sex or something, it would be it would be an interesting <laughs> series. I, I guess it's if a little you made dry it, right now. I think you would really Throw need some to make it in like a, yeah. a limited a limited <laughs> series, like True Detective or something. Yeah, exactly. Where like each season is sort of a different book, but it still, but there's like little subtle mm-hmm. influences or. Yeah. or or American Horror Story, I guess, would be a better yeah. comparison. And then anytime anything happens, uh, a Selden bubble pops up, and he goes, called it! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Boom! <laughs> I'm like fucking Babe Ruth over here. <laughs> and Akron has fallen. Called it! <laughs> I did that! Pop up Selden Crisis. <laughs> <laughs> Selden alarm! Selden alarm! Crisis imminent. So, now, I don't remember. In this... It, when this traitors thing happens, does Selden come up? No, here? He no, doesn't it's show up purely no. just. It's it's purely just. Uh, Which the, is why the traitors in my my thing. version of the novel, like the book would end where they get like the trial would be like the second half of the book, and then they finally land on Terminus and they're like, "Well, let's get started." So this <laughs> one, so now we're in the second part where um, what is the tra- well, that traitor's name? The main traitor. Mallow. Oh, of the. Oh yeah, the the Merchant Prince book, yeah. the fifth book, Mallow, Mallow, yeah. Mallow, Mallow's arc that we'll get into and his twist of how he shows everyone up was for me a little less cool and a little more like okay. I don't know. I, this this book had one of my favorite scenes. Which um, one? There's a lot of talking with the old man that was just sitting in his ruined house. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah no, that was that was very cool. But so, I, I think this whole book was probably overall my second favorite. Sure. So this is the fifth book. It's called The Merchant Princes, and it's effectively like a thematic continuation of the the previous book. It's set 155 years after the first book, mm-hmm. and it it follows another traitor by the name of of uh, Mallow. I don't remember what his first and how name he is. becomes Hober the first Mallow. leader yeah. of the of people as a traitor. So now the foundation has subjugated. They're not like. No longer partners, but you know the four kingdoms are working for Foundation. Yeah, um, Foundation's very powerful. It spreads throughout numerous uh, star systems. Yeah, v- basically via this technology, like they realize they don't need the religious element to control planets as long as yeah. it's just a purely te- technological. Like if they don't behave, they embar- they're embargoed from the, te- the technology, and then technology monopoly. Yes. And then, and they always make sure that the people that are operating the, the the technology don't know how to make it. They have the proprietary information. It's they're they're basically the anti uh, Tesla Motor Company. Instead of just giving away the, all the information on how to make it, they keep it to themselves and they use that as a means of control. So they're That's every a very other company. Powerful weapon. Yes, uh, and it works uh, almost everywhere except for there's one place that they they don't seem to to want or need the technology and that's a planet where they still have old technology from the galactic the, empire the original empire 
and they and they're like, we already have everything we need, bro. Which, Get out of here. Doesn't that Which, hint at the fact that the Galactic Empire, in some small amount, is still alive? There's, it's still fluttering. So there's which we didn't know for a while. We yeah. didn't know. Which, um, which seems to be hinting at like the what the next Selden crisis will be, which is like how do you war with Coral? How do you yeah? How do you wrest the remaining control from the dying Empire and give it over to your your people so that there's not an outright war between two almost matched uh, empires? Which um, one in decline and one yeah, on, the, on rise. the rise? But three three spaceships, three Foundation spaceships vanish around uh, this planet Coral. And they send this trader, um, master trader, Hober uh, Mallow. Mallow. So he's on his... Well, no. So first, he he leaves... Which planet does he leave? Because he's visiting a planet. He and visits they give a him, couple. Yeah, he visits a planet. There's a lot of planet visiting. But, but one of the planets makes... Or he asks someone... He asks a ex-trader who's now a religious figure to go with him. Right? I don't remember. Well, like this guy, Manlio. Yeah, that's how he gets... Yeah, so Sut, they're like the traders. They think the traders have too much power, right? Because they're basically like ambassadors with way more power. Yeah, that's so, how they set up these. Sut loose wants to take down Mallow, but so there's these yeah, basically. Plants. Uh, yeah, if I remember correctly, it's the uh, on Terminus the the vestiges of the religious organization uh, have they are suspicious of these traitors who just kind of like move in and are out for themselves. So it's it's within Terminus, these warring factions again. The yeah, so when Mallow's by himself, he visits with this one guy. He like makes a friend. He used to be a traitor. Now he's a faith spirit guy. Yeah. So he asks him to be on his crew and come with him on his next mission. And the guy accepts and they go. And then when they approach a planet, the planet that you were just talking about that doesn't need their technology, Coral, they aren't invited to land. So they start in a standoff, right? Where they're just hovering around the planet for a week. I think so. Oh, they, they do like some maneuvering. They're like, okay, we can't, there's no preaching on this planet. So we could just land and say, hey, this guy was already on the planet and he escaped. Well, so what happened is. <laughs> and we caught him. So, but that, so basically, this missionary guy, a separate guy, comes to the ship. Parma. And I'm not sure if he's in a little ship or what the deal is, but basically, he's like, please help me, give me refuge. They're going to kill me because I'm, you know, a missionary and this planet's going to kill me. Please don't send me back. And Mallow. As a trader is like, look, I need to follow the law. You're not allowed to be out here. Why are you here? I can't help you. And then the guy that he- <laughs> do you want to continue, and we can just I just finished that sentence, I guess. But it's time for another time vault. Time vault. The time vault opens again. Openeth. This is our prediction. Oh, sixty minutes into here. This, we is, go. this is Harry Selden's prediction for sixty minutes. <laughs> Time out, Elfie. Beep, beep, beep. Hello. Congrats. You're nearly there. By this point, your neighbors will be jealous that you're doing a kick-ass podcast and are planning a coup. Any minute, they'll kick down the door. The solution is obvious. Grab Aaron's helmets for armor and then throw your... Throw his cat... I wrote wrote your... Throw his cat at the intruders. Nick will brain them with the mixer. (laughs) Sounds like a good plan. Yeah. So our our warring neighbors are going to invade at any moment. <laughs> Angry that we're proselytizing our podcast to the world. 
but violence is the sign of the incompetent or something. 60 minutes. By now, you've decided that unregulated free market capital capitalism is the best way to spread technology and build an empire across the cosmos. We then all vote Republican and elect Rand Paul as the new mayor of Terminus. <laughs> Rand Paul for Terminus. By now, Aaron has tried to assume control of the podcast, pointing out that the galactic spirit would want it that way. Nick and Ellen have converted to galactic spirituality. <laughs> for all these predictions of the galactic spirit, he sure isn't coming out. Yeah. Well, I think we all know the galactic spirit's just a farce. It's Harry Seldon. <laughs> I don't know, Aaron. It sounds like you're using the galactic spirit to assume control of this podcast. <laughs> I think that the Galactic Spirit wouldn't want you to talk like that. You wouldn't even know what to do with this podcast. What would you even do? <laughs> Hi, I'm Joey Reinish. I'm Kyle McVeigh. I'm Kim. And I'm Brian. And we do a podcast called LLJK. You like topping it? <laughs> Perfect. I do. No, keeping it, not starting over. This is exactly what you get. <laughs> this is it. You get topical, fucked up programming. Now we will scream at you, we will yell at you, and we will probably talk about boners. Poop. Poop again. <laughs> poop probably boners. Poop. Boner poop. I don't even know anymore. Poop that gives you boners. <laughs> right? Oh, we know that yet. No. Oh. No. We don't talk about that. <laughs> LOLJK, Unexplosive Magico, the the network for podcasts. You know what I mean? Dot com, dot org. Also no, on not iTunes. Dot org. Oh, subscribe to us on iTunes. Dot com. <laughs> oh, hey, Brian. <laughs> I just want to make sure I got one in on this one, too. Put a little left out. I really blew it with my spot, guys. Let me show you how to use this flim-flam machine. Get some gold out of this cat food. <laughs> oh, there was like a vaudeville scene yeah. of, I think it's in this book, of him selling technology. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's He he basically goes and, and the guy's like, I have technology. I don't need it. And then he's like, oh, yeah. And then he puts on this magic rainbow coat. He's like, are you sure your lady wouldn't want this rainbow coat? Ooh. Oh, this? <laughs> Wait, we have to explain. This Ladies was Weenus, sh- right? This is back with Weenus? No, no, no. This is Mallow. When he stru- no, but Mallow and what was the Weasley guy with, with the bitter wife? Those are the people it happened with. Parma? Uh, it was some people in this Man- book. Manlio? No, it was. Okay, but it was the guy that has the bitter wife, and yes. it was the planet that doesn't want the spirituality. So that's where we are right now in the story. And so he like gives this pitch of like, are you sure that your women folk wouldn't want to buy this shiny galaxy coat that I have? <laughs> also, you can click it on, and it's a, a, a force field. Who oh, is it the leader? Force field. It's the leader of the... The Commodore. Yeah. The yeah. But he has them bring a girl out to demonstrate the coat, which is the second woman in the entire book. And she puts on the coat and she's like, I like it. It's pretty. And then they take it off of her and she's like, oh, all I have is the memory of wearing the coat. And then he's like, oh. fine, I'll take it. And then, yeah. And then it's funny how Mallow has to like explain to him how he could sell the coats. He has to be like, but don't you understand with all your balls and your parties and your galas? The women are going to, they'll pay anything to have this coat. They're all going to want it. He's like, I see. Capitalism, you say. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I was talking about the super saw. 
there's like a he's like step right up here oh, you yeah. have a pipe use a super saw and cut it in two yeah when uh, he yeah. goes to the factory take two pipes cut off the ends and stick them together look there's no mark yeah it's, yeah that was great because it shows that the traders are basically they're slick moving guys who know how to play tricks on the eye and also show technology a yeah. bunch of music men yeah and at first it seems like they're having trouble selling technology on this on this planet because it, there's a bunch of technology left over from the old empire but then, but then sure enough you find out that all the people that run that technology have no idea how it works they're just kind of keeping old engines alive and if anything goes wrong there's no one on the planet that can repair them mm-hmm. and that would basically provide a power vacuum in which the traders could say we know how to be- make new technology and then they would uh, be able to exert their influence yeah. so the only thing just to finish my convoluted synopsis from earlier <laughs> before they get onto that planet and do all these demonstrations um, Mallow decides to give the spiritual figure back to the planet because he can't harbor him, even though his traveling companion doesn't want him to do that. So then they go through all of what we just described. And then well, there's, later, there's like comes- a mob out there and they're like, where the hell did they come from and how did they know to find us? So he kind of suspected right. something. Yeah, was yeah like a mob of ships show up, right? Because he's still no, on the ship. No, just a mob of people. But isn't he on the ship when this happens? No, it's landed. The ship's landed. Yeah. Oh, but he has to give him up. Okay, okay. Yeah. But anyway. It's like, anyway. I imagine villagers with fire, like they surrounded the yeah, castle. Yeah, they just kind of just show up earlier. after he gives refuge to this guy, and he, <laughs> but and he gives him back. on trial. Yeah. Well, but we're skipping Later. around. We're, we're skipping around. Okay. So basically, he, he gives the spiritual leader back to the planet he can't harbor him basically so anyway then he goes he does his little magic show with the coat and the steel and then he bribes a what what are they called a nuclear fixer guy he bribes yeah a nuclear technician technician to show him the nuclear plants and he finds out that none of them know what they're doing (laughs) no they they do no they just know how they just know how to kind of keep operate the machines they don't know how to fix them and so that's when you find out that uh, he's able to plant like a little bug that makes it shut down, uh, and they and they're able to basically swoop in and, and fix it. He, but he bribes them with a uh, personal, uh, a personal force field, personal force field, which stops working like, after yeah. two days. Yeah. So, but so he does all this. It looks like everything's great. Um, uh, he's effectively gotten trade into this pl- this planet Corel. Everything's hunky dory. Mallow goes back to Terminus and finds out that the people of Terminus hate him. No, no, no. We, he, there's another stop. There's another planet. Oh, yeah, okay. Well, first, yeah, yeah, he visits. This was actually for as much as I liked this book, it was confusing. I read it twice, and I I still don't know what happened with that person that got on or off the book. Yeah, even reading like. The Wikipedia synopsis didn't help. I'm like, what? Well, so just before we talk confusing. about that little interim stop, let's since the the one when he goes back to the people of tournament terminus hating him, uh, he put he gets put on trial effectively because for, for, turn, yeah. for turning over that that the priest spiritual who priest. He picked him up back to the people, and then there's this really elaborate kind of like trial where this traitor is basically being put on trial by the people of terminus or by the council of terminus because they don't trust the traitors Mm -hmm. and then he and then you find out that that mallow realizes he's been set up and then he shows a video of the of what happened and he zooms in on like a neck scar or something and you find out 
that the guy he turned in, Mallow had deduced, was actually a member of the secret police on that, on planet. that planet, and he wasn't a, a, a priest a priest at all. And he gets out of it, and the people celebrate, and, and Mallow becomes the new <laughs> leader of Terminus. They, in the trial, they literally like pick him up and are shouting his name. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Mallow, Mallow, Mallow. And then on top of that, they like uh, he has them arrested. Yeah. And then they he's elected mayor. <laughs> so that's sort of like the new age of mercantilism as the the main thrust of of uh uh of terminus of, or the foundation in spreading its its influence. But in between that there's a little stopover that sort of like hints at problems that's going to come in future books that aren't in the scope of this podcast <laughs> uh where he's where he kind of catches wind of this little planet uh that seems to harbor a bunch of old empire technology yeah it was like a a provincial hub of the old empire and he goes there and it's like a piece of shit planet yeah i picture Um, it very very desolate desolate. yeah very desolate and he comes across this old guy um in his little house it's a a planet called sewina i believe yeah sewina sewina uh sorry but he finds out from this old sort of Onum Bar is his name. Onum, he finds from this old aristocrat named Onum Bar that that the the old Galactic Empire is still out there and in small little batches, and they might be coming for uh, Terminus, and they might be coming for the Foundation, and that's going to be a problem. <laughs> that's and, all. and we find out that the guys has oh. one son that's a, uh, secretly serving his own. Uh, no, Army. His, his one remaining his one remaining son, one living son is in the Imperial Navy, but like undercover, and will eventually try to have a coup and you know take. Yeah, over. but that, that's just sort that. of an aside. I know, I but I'm just that. saying it's like hinting at future yeah. issues with his planet. It's just well, part of his world. The building. backstory of yeah, this it's very short story. On it's like one off. It's its own yeah. thing. But I like the backstory of on this planet, the Viceroy was going to rebel against the Emperor. And the Emperor sent a navy, a fleet, to deal with it. But while that fleet was on the way, the uh, one of this guy's sons and another other people and this uh, and Onumbar led a rebellion that's not that crushed the other rebellion. Basically, they stopped the rebellion before the fleet got there. Then the admiral of the fleet was like, "Well, we wanted to stop it, so they bombarded the planet and killed all his yeah. children." Yeah, very tragic. But it's funny, you know, um, Mallow just basically walks into this guy's house and, you know, the guy is just at his mercy, but then they have sort of a friendly deep talk. And then after he leaves later on, there's this nice little bookend where the guy, the old guy goes out into his garden and finds a little box of supplies that last him a long time and help him that... (laughs) Milo left. Oh yeah, him. I paid him back. Yeah, yeah. Some food. but I think the main point of that little interlude was to suggest that, like, look, just because they have a traitor at, uh, at the helm of Foundation doesn't mean there's not going to be huge problems in the future. Yeah. And I haven't read Second Foundation yet. We well, probably the, well, there's, should. There's a war that ends. Well, it's a war, but non-war. Um, after Mallow is elected mayor. Uh-huh. Full full blown war erupts between Coral and the Foundation, but what does he do? He just does nothing because he knows the technology is going to stop working. Yeah. So he there's basically a ceasefire. He's like, listen, I'm not going to attack you. Um, war if you want, but we're not going to attack you. And eventually, all like 
the old, all the old Empire stuff on the the Corellian, on, yeah, on Corell just stops working, and then they win the war. <laughs> yep. And how does this book end? I literally just finished it. I my think, brain I th- is blank. I think it ends with another. But we'll deal with that another day. Oh yeah, it was actually kind of a sweet. Uh, you know, lay your burdens down. Let your children. At least we built a better uh, tomorrow for our children. Yeah, it's it, it, an ongoing theme of this book, uh, or all of these little no- novellas, is that it, civilization never stops. There's always going to be problems, but as long as you tackle them with logic and reason, uh, and I guess the 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 concept of psychohistory of like waiting until probabilities whittle down to the most likely one mm-hmm. and then acting in a, in a logical manner then you will always succeed well i actually think there's a little bit more of just i don't know what the word would be like stepping back just logical this is how people act whether it's good or bad which is just that humans repeat history they go through phases, up and down swings of success, and um, going back to I don't know backwards views. <laughs> like there's always like advances. It's cyclical. It, yeah, it's cyclical, and Human it's just you. Cycle. Yeah, you can just look at history, and you'll see it. It's all there. Mm-hmm. It, this book ends with um, Mallow lifted his gloomy face and exclaimed fiercely, "What business of mine is the future?" No doubt Selden has foreseen it and prepared against it. There will be other crises in the time to come when money power when money power has become as dead a force as religion is now. Let my successors solve these new problems as I have solved the one as of today. So basically yeah. it hints <laughs> at yet another Selden crisis in the future. Dun, dun, dun. Selden crisis. Wait, last time vault, time vault. Oh, got another one for the end or the end of this podcast. Do you want to do yep. it? Hold on, we can do it. I, I had an alarm that was going to go off. To the okay, everyone oh, okay. hold uh, while we're waiting for that. So I also highlighted every time um, oh, yeah. there was an interesting word. It was never fully explained what it meant, but he created a lot of words for technology. Even like a weird word for what I assume is kind of an iPad. I have to go back and look. It's like a a Visa screen or something. Visa screen. <laughs> time, visa vault, screen? time vault. Um, time vault. Yet another crisis event. I believe that alarm indicates that the final <laughs> Harry Selden crisis is upon us. Time vault open. <laughs> Congrats! You've reached the Empire mode. Clearly by now, Nick secretly got Aaron and Ellen's... <laughs> Wait, cat? Oh, okay. By now, Nick has secretly got Aaron and Ellen's cat drunk. You're on a new location because the apartment complex is now a Denny's. Aaron and Ellen tried to adopt Nick as their new pet. Nick refused. Good on you, Nick. Yeah. Game of Thrones was mentioned roughly 87 times. Good night. <laughs> was a Accurate. lot. I love how you jumped ahead in time, fitting yes. for the book. Uh... Also, Ellen and Nick became traitors and overthrew Aaron. <laughs> Aaron died in the coup. <laughs> Bye now. See ya. Toot, 
<laughs> to be determined. <laughs> and finally, jetpacks have, <clears throat> jetpacks have been invented and have grown so popular that all podcasts have gone extinct, save for those pertaining to jetpack maintenance and repair. So we won podcast history? Yes. We won podcast <laughs> history! You now feel the call from a listener regarding a hyperfuel valve that is making strange rattle noises on their jetpack. I don't know, uh... Punch it. Also, <laughs> podcasts have live call-in sections now. <laughs> it's some weird, like, there's, my uh, mixer's hooked up to a time machine, so it somehow... Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. That was our final Selden event. I'm mixing it right now, and it's being broadcast right now. <laughs> and Amazing. it's editing right now. Um, well, you just installed a hyperwave relay. What if we go outside and jetpacks are, like, popular? <laughs> I feel like that. I feel like a lot of time passed, like, at least 100 years yeah. since we started the How podcast. How long have we started? When will we Our ancestors jetpacks? continued the podcast well after we died. Yes. <laughs> uh, what was your favorite exclamation, like, space? Oh, yeah. Mine is... Great galloping galaxies. Oh, that was a good one. <laughs> I think, the, isn't there one where it just they just go, oh, space. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> For the love of space. <laughs> I, and I think there was one where, um, just something too with like the galactic spirit. I was really big on that. I thought it was interesting. But let me see oh, if yeah. I can find one. Um, buy space, Harden, I will. There it is. Buy space, Harden, I, I will. will. <laughs> By space. I love it. <laughs> By space. Also, a great quote. Never let your sense of morals prevent you from doing what, what is, is right. right. Yeah. Only those with the blessed galactic spirit could. <laughs> yeah, the blessed galactic spirit. In the name of the galactic spirit, remove him from his command. Yeah, that's them pulling off the mutiny. <laughs> yeah, yeah. By the name of the galactic spirit. Mighty space. The galactic spirit just being knowing how to use technology. Yes. Oh, so it's it was the what reminded me of the iPad was called a visiplate. A visiplate. A visiplate. I love it. And something some communication came out of the visiplate. So overall thoughts of, of Foundation. What do, what do people think? Do they like it? Do they hate it? I would probably give this a solid five or six lasers. Out of what? Except, ten except, lasers. Okay. Oh, okay. Uh, Should that be our uh, system? Sure. <laughs> How? Or or maybe it'd be like, did it get a, a bullseye, or did it miss the mark? I that, don't know. That's not really a counting system, Aaron. <laughs> Out of ten bullseyes. Um, definitely should be lasers. Out of ten laser bullseyes. <laughs> so I I feel we already overthrow you. I I feel a little bit conflicted. I definitely think. It's great that we read this, and I actually would like to complete the series. I understand why it is like a seminal work and everything. Overall, it was a bit dry um, character-wise. wasn't really the characters weren't that interesting, but the story was very overall very interesting. So overall, I liked it. I'm going to give it seven lasers. Uh, Ooh, I will. I, I, my overall impression of the book is is the same that I have of all of Asimov's work. And that's that he always tends to put the concept over the characters, but occasionally will come out with fun characters. Like, this this series had a few fun characters. Had a couple, yeah. I liked Mallow a lot. I liked Harden a lot. There was also one foppish... 
warlord that I thought was Weenus? fucking hilarious. It, I don't know if it yeah, was all Weenus. the rulers. There was another guy that was just like, oh, oh, oh that guy yeah. with the weird didn't pronounce his R. Yeah, he didn't come pronounce. He, I really like uh, what you're doing here, Mallow. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, you know, obviously, character long-term character development not Asimov's thing. So, I, in general, I would agree. Uh, with you guys, I would probably give it like a seven point five or an eight. Once I realized what the the, the series was doing, I yeah. was on board. I with feel it. like I need to give it two settings. Like one is just personally, as someone reading it in two thousand fifteen, I gave it give it seven out of ten. But understanding when it was written and what it did for the future of science fiction, I mean, it deserves a ten out of ten. I mean, it, you know, despite I'll give it an eight. Yeah, in that in, setting, in that yeah. in that sense, okay. Uh, before we say goodbye, I did find it somewhat interesting uh, I f- that uh, besides the HBO stuff, uh, the Foundation series is coming up in the news again because apparently there is a professor who uh, has recently been dedicating his entire sort of uh, professional life to creating a real-life version of psychohistory. Oh, my God. And, yes, <laughs> and he's found some limited success in in trial runs, specifically uh, in like mobile phone usage data. They they're able to actively predict uh, huh. like social trends and whatnot from mobile phone data. There's also been cat really, memes. There's also been really interesting <laughs> bits where they could predict in at least in the short term. They just by creating an algorithm that can scan like. Twitter, for instance, they they assigned very specific uh, positive or negative connotations to certain words and then tracked how often those words were used on Twitter and actually fairly successfully were able to predict market trends up to like three months in advance of like how how if the markets were going to go up or down and that's cool so like we're we're actually on the edge of creating a real world psycho history because there's now enough data with yes. applications like Twitter. And as we know, the key to good scientific uh, And the government constantly tapping all our electronic things. Exactly. Yeah, the NSA realizes that the only way that history is going to survive is if they create an Encyclopedia Galactica <laughs> by tapping all of our shit. <laughs> Thanks, government. This is the word of Harry Selden. Yes. This is the word of Haley- Harry Selden watching you poop. May the galactic spirit be with you. Bye, space. And so with you, Nick. (laughs) Bye, space. We shall prevail. Are we wrapping up? I think so. I think so. Wait, let's say what uh, next time or what do we... I would like to say that um, I'm sorry if you sent us an email and we haven't read it. Somehow I hooked up the Twitter account to send me every single notification ever. Like even if I think you tweet or something. (laughs) So it might be buried but um, don't forget to write us if you have questions or books you want us to cover at My Arms Are Lasers. That's lasers with an S. It mm-hmm. seems like it should be with a Z, but it's not. It's with an S. Yep, that's how it's spelled. <laughs> at gmail.com. My lasers. Arms are lasers at g- gmail.com. So if you want to read along with us, next, next episode of My Arms Are Lasers. So I think it's my turn to pick the next book. And I wanted to do something a little different. I had three books that I was interested in and really interested in reading, and I wanted to leave it up to maybe you guys to pick which one really interested you. They're okay. all very different in very different ways. One is one I think I mentioned in an earlier podcast, but it's called Leviathan Wakes. 
and it's it's considered one of, like a contemporary classic. It came out I think uh, in two thousand four, maybe or something like that. Uh, but it's a guy guy named S. A. James S. A. Corey wrote it, and it's apparently about this amazing tale about a guy who sort of accidentally awakens an ancient. Uh, Alien something or other. I don't know anything about it. I just want to read it. When did it come out? Is this that... Um, 2011, actually. Didn't they, someone do a short film about this? Uh, maybe. Space Whales? I, n- I don't know if this is about Space Whales or not. Uh, I, I mean, I could look up the... Uh, a. Never mind. Then. <laughs> I, it's I, a I, very cool f- short film. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Um, okay, so the synopsis, it's a... F- is Leviathan Wakes is set in a future where humanity has colonized much of the solar system, but not interstellar space. Um, Interesting, yeah. And <laughs> I th- by chance, Jim Holden, executive offer of an officer of an outer planet's ice freighter, and his crew um, witness the destruction of their ship, and on Ceres, the planet. Uh, 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 so it's just a bunch of stuff happens, as far as I yeah. can tell. <laughs> It sounds cool. An alien growth is consuming the planets. So that's one. Uh, I like the fact that it's stuck within this solar system. Yeah, yeah. So there's a, another one that I've heard, been hearing a lot of about, and it's actually being adapted into a Ridley Scott movie. It's called The Martian mm. by Andy Weir. And it's a very hard sci-fi approach to if, like, today uh, we sent an astronaut to Mars and he gets stranded there. And he just all he does is just use pure science to survive on Mars uh, for uh, I think months or years until he can be rescued. And it's apparently like a thrilling adventure ride uh, of hard, hard like near future, if not contemporary sci-fi mm-hmm. of like what mm-hmm. how a person could actually survive on Mars for years uh, if he was stranded there. Uh, Finally, this one's a bit out there, but hang with me. Uh, it's this is a an account called True History, written by a ancient Roman by the name of Samoseta, and, and it's okay. basically considered one of the earliest known efforts in science fiction or fantasy. And it was written in around 200 A.D. and it's about this account of explorers that go to another world and encounter aliens and uh, fight in intergalactic war and then come back to Earth. That sounds cool. It was written by a... It was written in, in, in the 2nd century <laughs> A.D. by a Roman by the name of Samoseta. Wait, what? Yep. <laughs> That's interesting. Like about whole, an intergalactic war and encounters with aliens. It's a whole book? It's it's a book. It's, yeah. a, I, I, it's a classic literature. So it was written... When was it written? 2nd <laughs> century A.D., 200-ish. And it's a sci-fi... The concept? Yes. It's considered one of the earliest known examples of science fiction and uh, intergalactic aliens, if not the, the earliest depiction of aliens. What? That sounds cool. So, the three <laughs> options to I'm reiterate. Go- I'm going to read that one regardless. Yeah, I feel like I need to read that book just like for my life to yeah, know there's, it. There's true history or true fictions, is how it's translated by Sam Oseta. Andy Weir's The Martian, or, or James... Corey's Leviathan Wakes. All those sound pretty good. Yeah. Kind of leaning towards Leviathan. Though. Me too. Me too. For some reason, Leviathan Wakes is the one that I feel is like calling me the most to read it for the podcast. But I definitely like need to read the last one, and then the Martian one also sounds good. <laughs> okay, so Leviathan Wakes, it is. 
Yeah. Join us yeah. next. Join us next week. Next week. <laughs> join us. <laughs> join us next episode uh, where we'll be reading the 2011 book *Leviathan Wakes* by James S. A. Corey. Thanks again for listening to us here on My Arms Are Lasers. Thank you. You can follow us on Twitter at My Arms Are Lasers. Thank you. Let's read books.